Before we get started, we want to make a quick disclaimer. Here at the Dimension Door, we sometimes discuss subject matters of a sensitive nature. We wish to create a space where such topics can be explored in the spirit of learning, understanding, and occasionally through the lens of humor. We value an environment of safety in which difficult topics can be addressed for the sake of growth and healing. Just like every good adventure, ours starts right here at the Dimension Door Tavern. Hello listeners, and welcome to this week's adventure at the Dimension Door Tavern. I'm your host, Jonathan, and today we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, His name is Gary. Gary is a veteran and um, also a veteran D&D player. So thank you very much for coming here and being a part of our show. Say hello to the world, Gary. Thanks for uh, for having me on. My name is Gary, uh, 39 been playing D&D since I was a little kid, on and off. He likes long walks on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> and whiskey, whiskey on the rocks. Yes, pina coladas. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for having me, and hopefully we'll have an interesting conversation. Yeah, I think I think it'll be a very interesting conversation. Um, I have known Gary for almost, like what, a, a Over year? a year. Over, Over a year, year. yeah. Um, he was a player in my campaign. Um, that I, I won't, uh, spoil his character, but he was one of my favorite characters. Um, just always a fun, always a fun thing. Um, but yeah, so, so tell me Gary a little bit about how you started with D and D. Well, just fantasy in general, uh, it goes way back for me. Cause like one of my favorite memories, um, from when I was a kid, I was like, six years old and my mother read me the hobbit and she wasn't a huge fantasy person but like for whatever she read that book in college and i remember reading it to me and that was really like kind of a first where it really like you know fantasy kind of cemented Mm. you know itself where yeah it was so transformative where it just took you to a whole nother world because everything else you know i'd read as a kid was, you know, very childish, you know, you read Dr. Seuss and whatnot, but right. that was the first book where it was like, it was, yeah, really just opened up an entire like detailed world. And, you know, I kind of fell in love with that, uh, the world building aspect of it. So nice. that was really like, uh, the first, you know, thing that, why I fell in love with fantasy. And then later, uh, I had an uncle on uh, this when I was like third grade, second, third grade, uh, he, he had been big into D and D, uh, when he was in high school and then like the new second edition D and D had come out, mm. um, which was new at that time. <laughs> and we don't talk about second edition. Yeah. Like, and you know, like the first edition was cause he had, he showed me some of the first edition mm. and that was like, wow. Cause it was really basic, but second edition I actually did like, um, and you know, at the time it was like all there, all there really was. So, mm-hmm. but he, me and my stepbrothers and him would play, um, and played like in middle school, uh, elementary, middle school. And I, I kind of stopped, uh, cause he moved away like high school. I didn't really play or when I was in the military, but you know, I'd, I'd still read a lot of fantasy and whatnot. And I remembered how much fun it was. So that was when I kind of went on, facebook group and found you know your group and you know the rest is history but um so, so yeah we it was were really the first group you played with in like years yeah oh wow i didn't know idea. yeah since like yeah so a long long time yeah because i i played a little bit in high school but at that time third edition was out i didn't like third edition um mm. and i didn't have a lot of friends who played that wasn't like easy where you can find people like it is now. Plus right. lived in a small town at that time. So it wasn't like the opportunities that you have here. We didn't have like the bookstores or, right. you know, that you have here. So that's interesting. I had, I didn't know that 
like you hadn't played for so long before you because you came into our campaign and you it felt like you knew how to play and you were an expert at it so yeah well part of that is you know a lot of the really good uh video games that mm. have really seamlessly kind of integrated adopted yeah. that D D yeah gameplay style yeah the, but the biggest problem with you know video games is the the real human aspect the role-playing aspect you, you don't get it right. as much it's fun like playing the <laughs> you know the dice systems like creating your min maxing your characters on video games but right. yeah you don't get and even the storytelling is usually really good in video games but yeah you just don't get that kind of like collaboration social, social interaction yeah, yeah yeah you don't get that with skyrim with the, the mm. characters that are just like running into a wall like oh, yeah, yeah i heard something mm -hmm. yeah you just and the thing with video games too is um you know you just you you miss the and i play video games to get away from people mm. um where D, &D <laughs> you know when i'm in the mood for it like i play D, &D to be with people so mm. but yeah i hate like i hate playing multiplayer video games um you know it's it's very different than like playing D, &D. Obviously, like playing Call of Duty or something online, it's not the same. <laughs> Obviously, social aspect there, you're just, you know, talking smack to each other and whatnot. Uh, and I don't, I don't like that social interaction of video games, but like D&D, &D, you know, because it is so collaborative, um, you know, yeah. you're really playing with people. You're not really There's playing against people. Yeah, you're, you know, and, and you're really being a lot more creative than you are in a kind of a linear video game that's a lot more formulaic, so... Yeah, so that's why I like D and D, um, and you know, fantasy in general. Um, you know, people really not frown like, and it's become a lot more accepted now. You know, like fantasy being a nerd, you know, all these things, um, and people are starting to realize how kind of important you know yeah. fantasy is, and it, it really is. Like, I you know, I always tell people. Um, like, you know, I read a lot and I read a lot of nonfiction and fiction, but all the most important lessons I've learned has been from fiction, mm. um, hands down, you know, um, like what kind of lessons? Well, just, you know, you read, you read a book, uh, even like, like Tolkien, like Lord of the Rings, gotcha. you know, like the, the values and things that you get out of that, um, are, are real, you know, it's a fantasy world, but when you put yourself in that world and you identify with these characters and their values, um, you know, it does change you in real life or it should, you know, if, unless you just have no empathy or, you know, but really like, yeah, like you, you put oh, yourself in these worlds. Out there. Yeah. I mean, there are, but most of them I feel don't read because they just can't identify with characters. So what it does that say about me though? Cause my favorite character in like star Wars is Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. I yeah. empathize with Darth Maul. Sure, but that—that's that empathy. <laughs> but like, I—I'm sure you don't. Like, we—we we all have those villain characters, right? Um, especially good villains. That's actually the—the the only thing because Lord of the Rings is very different than a lot of fantasy because it is so black and white. I mm -hmm. think that's one of the reasons like this new show failed, uh, The Rings of Power, is because they tried to do like a gray Tolkien, and Tolkien oh, is not—you yeah. know—is not a gray world it's it's very black and white tolkien was right. very good at versus evil there's no you know they try to make sore on a gray character it doesn't work yeah. uh for tolkien it works in other fantasy like you said like darth maul is is a great uh you know especially as they expanded on him right um, i'm a huge star wars nerd too the only so. gray character in the original star wars was frodo when he's being like tempted but that yeah. even then he's not like a gray as in like there's clearly a good and an evil, yeah. but he's being tempted by the evil. Mm -hmm. and he overcomes that or doesn't overcome it. And yeah, and that's all. Like all of Tolkien is is very black and white. Um, and they yeah they tried to make it you know this, and it doesn't work like that. Um, hmm. And yeah, like we all have you know gray characters that we identify with because we we understand ourselves. Like we're not you know good or evil right. purely. Um, you know. It's, well, it's even hard concept. to role play a paladin, let alone, you know, be one in real life. Um, and yeah, like we, we understand that we are more gray, but that's why like certain worlds that we put ourselves into, um, 
we we really love it because you can just it's that black you know really good versus evil and i think human beings in general have kind of a yearning to you know be in that fight versus good and evil right. and be the good um and even though we don't you know necessarily see that played out in our lives all the time but we do have that you know i think that's why religion is so you know impactful uh you know, and that's why, like, I think, like, Greek mythology, which I love, but it's a very mm-hmm. gray. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's people don't emotionally <laughs> identify with Greek mythology the same way they do, like, Christianity or. It's a very gray. It's also a very flip flop. Like, the people who are good are, mm-hmm. like, massively evil. The people who are evil are do yeah. things that are good. Like, yeah, just it's like, very... yeah, it's a whole crazy thing. Um, I'm curious, how does that go into, go into, like, when you're creating a character, do you like, do you prefer to have those characters or just black and white? Like this is good. This is evil. Or do you like to play with that gray area a little bit? So I like to play gray characters okay? because, and I think in, in general, like it comes back to, like I said, like real life, like it's, it's mm-hmm. hard, hard enough to role play a paddle paladin, let alone, you know, and it's annoying for the party too. Usually when there's just somebody that's just, you know, this is evil. This is good. Like you're not going to, and it, you know, it, it kind of limits your role playing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like it is hard to role play like somebody that's that, you know, uh, kind of goody two shoes and wants to do everything the right way. But most of the party is not going to do everything. And, and you kind of, it kind of limits what your party can do. Um, I know you, you said you hadn't read the Dragonlance Chronicles, but uh, there's one character in there, Sturm Brightblade, who is a paladin essentially. And like, he can't lie. He can't, uh, he wears, you know, very distinctive armor. He can't disguise himself, um, things like this. So it it hampers the party because they're Mm. like, can't you just, you know, and he's like, no, it's against my, you know, and their, their code of honor is my honor is my life. Like any, he can't. So it's just funny, like that you feel annoyed with the party in the book because they have this <laughs> character that like just won't bend his code of ethics, even though like it's really important what they're doing and that, you know, and yeah, like it's not as fun to, for me to role play like such a rigid character. It's, it's one of those things that in the right circumstances, it can be a very fun thing. It can lead to some very comical moments yeah. when you have like all the party is doing this super crazy thing. And you have that one guy who's like protesting it the whole time yeah. and actually making the problem worse than what it could be. But you're right. It does have that other side effect where it can just get like, Oh, come on, come on. Yeah. Just be a part of the group. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, some, like some players do it just and an, like antagonistic way. Like they want to mess with their own party, which is not good. And then there's the other players that, you know, are, the party forgives them because they're generally like role playing and, you know, right. having fun with that. And everybody's kind of having fun um, because he's, he's committed to the character. He's not just trying to be a contrarian or, you know, right. so because there is, you know, on the flip side, there is those people that play the evil characters too, that do the same thing in reverse where it's like, you know, they just slaughter towns. And like, yes. the party is like, what, what do you do? You can't like, like, well, I'm evil. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, you just decided to burn down the forest because you could. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, both of those, you know, the extremes and I, in general and in life, like, I don't, I don't like the extremes. I think, mm. you know, people don't live at the extremes now for, I think for like the supporting characters, a lot of the NPCs, things like that. I, I think it makes sense for the, the DM to kind of run them as, um, you know, very either good or evil, like right. party needs to know where they stand. No, it is fun. Like having like some of those, you know, characters that, yeah, you don't really know where you stand with them, but you like to have that gray character in a black and white world. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Cause yeah, it, it makes role playing everything a lot, lot more fun. Right. If everybody's gray, it's just kind of, yeah, it doesn't make it as right. It's actually, I had in, in our campaign, I had that like that white, pure white character, the um, Vega. Mm-hmm, yeah, and then he ended up getting like, yeah corrupted. Corrupted. I mean, our like, group <laughs> with our group. Yeah, um, no, it was funny though. It's an interesting group. Yeah. Well, he's he's corrupted, but he's still like for good. Like he's just yeah. 
Yeah, fell in love. No, and that, like you know, and it's not like he betrayed his right. central core ethics or something. But um, it was funny that that was supposed to never happen because he was supposed to be like this total straight lace, like yeah. whatever. I mean, with the group that we had, I think it was inevitable. Um, inevitable yeah. to corrupt. Not that we were like evil, them. an evil group, but we were definitely in the gray and very cementedly in the gray. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, like, and it was a really fun group. And, you know, because, yeah, we were so into the role playing um, rather than just, you know, combat or yes. other things. Um, you know, it made that group really fun. And, you know, I think I, I was talking to you before about like combat can be fun. Um, you know, and there are those players that play primarily for like this strategy element of like the rules, yeah. um, you know, and it's kind of as a DM, you, you just need to know like what your players want out of the game. Um, right. And, you know, yeah, like for this, that particular group, uh, it's more about the role play and just, yeah, interacting and, and having a good time. Nice. So. so you like the great characters and things like that in the black and white world. Do you have a favorite character that you've ever played as or created? Um, it's been a, <laughs> been a couple. Been a couple. Um, two favorite. Um, uh, so Lefty McRae was this halfling. Lefty McRae? Yeah, it was nice. this like halfling thief. Uh, that I played when I was like a little kid. Go left-handers. Yeah. Well, and I am a I am a left left. Like, hey, left hand high five. Yeah. I'm so, lefty too. Yeah. I don't know why we high five with our right hands, left handed, but I I I did my uh, left. Yeah, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's the whiskey. <laughs> it's the uh, whiskey. The whiskey's talking mm. to me. Um. Uh, but yeah, Lefty McRae, and he he was That's a really fun thief. The when you drink whiskey. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then the other one was uh, Sir Garius. Sir Garius. I love it. So tell me about Lefty McCree and Sir Garius. Yeah, Lefty McCree was a halfling thief. um, And he was was kind of a very acrobatic halfling. uh, And like this is in second edition. And you kind of, they didn't have all the rules, the rigid rules Mm. for certain things. So depending on the DM, you could, you know, either role play a lot of things or not, uh, just depending on how they let you kind of bend the rules. Um, but that was what second edition was kind of supposed to be. It was like, it had, you know, the very, um, skeleton of the rules and then they didn't have like all the feats and all this other stuff. Like you had to kind of create that stuff if you wanted it. So like, um, my DM who happened to be my uncle. So I had it in, let me, you know, do this very acrobatic, uh, you know, halfling thief mm-hmm. that could, you know, do flips and all this crazy stuff. And then he also, um, he had two hand crossbows that would, uh, like he could holster and then pop out when he drew them. Nice. So he could fire. Um, and yeah, it was just, he was just a fun character. Um, and yeah, Sir Sir Garius was the other one, and it's actually like a knight character that I ran. Uh, we ran through House of Strahd, and uh, like keep in mind, I, I was the littlest. I was the youngest of my. It was like me, and my two step brothers, my uncle, and he would play a character as well. Um, but he ran us through House of Strahd, and my step brothers were picking on me so much. Mm. Uh, that I actually turned evil and joined Strahd. And oh, wow. <laughs> and then I tried to kill them. Um, <laughs> so just, you know, fun stuff like that. Uh, so the different black and white and you switch from white to black. Mm. Huh? Yeah, but yeah, that had more to do with the the, the politics of the group rather than the right. character. But, you know, like... Um, but yeah, like, you know... I, I always like starting characters more than when they get high level. Um, mm. I think once you get high enough level, characters just stop being as fun to play um, at a certain Because there's not as much challenge to them. Not as much challenge. It's harder for the DM to uh, 
to kind of challenge you in meaningful ways, unless mm-hmm. you're doing, you know, more focused on the role play. But even then it's, yeah. It, and there's just so many game mechanics, especially in the newer Dungeons and Dragons third edition and up where you just get bogged down in so many like special abilities and yeah. feats and, you know, um, yeah, just kind of, I mean, it, it can be fun, but really I think in some ways like running like, high level one shots is more fun for those for Mm. those high level characters um but you know there's certain adventures where you need you know you need high level characters as you get up in levels like you know the longer modules um i think part of that too is you know as your character if you if you've been in a long campaign and your character's getting high level like you have this you're almost getting bored with the character because you've you've played this character out so many times and you don't know where yeah. else to go with it. And so there's a lot of times you struggle with that story arc or character arc um, the longer you play. And I know that's something that we were struggling with. A, a couple people were struggling with in in the campaign, the campaign we had is that they wanted to change characters. Yeah. And it was just because they, they were just getting tired of their character. They wanted to try something new. And I think there's there's an excitement of a new character, you know, I, yep. ooh, I get to play this new person. And then after a couple of years of playing them, it's like, okay, Ooh, someone, else, I want to play this new thing. Yeah. Again. Maybe like, a couple months depending yeah, on the character. A yeah. couple months. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that's part of it too, is not just the challenge rating, but just that excitement of a new character. I'm, I'm curious. You said you were in the military and anything and everything like that. What, if you don't mind asking, what did you do in the military? And do you feel like the fantasy games that you played either before or after had an effect in your service there? Absolutely. Um, well, a, I, so I was in the army. Um, I was in the infantry in the army and okay. like I, I joined in 2003. Ooh. So I, I joined May, 2003 in middle school um <laughs> do you want to be a dick about it yeah uh, yeah so yeah i was doing may 2003 um you know obviously Af- afghanistan was going and actually when i was in basic training mm. uh just finished basic training uh the iraq war kicked off did you join because of that or was it something you were planning to do anyways um it definitely not because of Iraq it was more, you know, nine 11, uh, had a big impact on me, but I had mm. always been really fascinated, um, with like military, military history, gotcha. um, things like that. Um, so I, yeah, it, it took up, you know, I finally like got the nerve to join. Cause like when I joined, um, I was weighed 128 pounds, you know, mm. it's like five, seven, 128 pounds. Um, and joined the infantry and was like, you know, if I fail, I fail. Um, cause yeah, it was like, people were not excited about me joining the infantry, but same time, (laughs) like I didn't want to join and be the cook and not that there's anything wrong with that. It just, that's not what I wanted to do. Um, Right. You know, I wasn't joining just for like the college money or whatever. Like, you know, I actually wanted to do like what the, the army does, um, which is the infantry and most of the army is is support, you know, which mm-hmm. you need the support, but yeah, only like, you know, one tenth of the, the military is actual combat arms. If that, mm-hmm. um, and everything else is just facilitating that. Um, and those are important. Like you need all that stuff, but I really wanted to be, you know, infantry and like part of it was naivety, you know, like, yeah. but I was like, you know, if I fail, I'll do something else, you know? So went to, went to basic and, you know, like one of the books that had a huge impact on me in basic, uh, was Ender's Game. And you've, mm. you've read Ender's Game. Yeah. So, you know, and the, the funny thing about basic and the, it's so appropriate name like Ender's Game because basic training is a game. And just like he figures out it is a game, uh, you know, where, when he's going to like basic training, essentially, right. you know, he figures out that yes, it's a game and you can, you know, kind of easily played by the rules, which is why they have to like, you know, cheat when he's in there and, and change the rules. Right. But, you know, going through basic, I realized pretty early on that, 
it is a game and you just play play the game and a lot of people didn't understand that they didn't understand that you know the guy that made his bed wrong and everybody has to do push-ups they they get mad at that guy they're gonna find something to make you you know push-ups about and so that was like one of the you know big books and you know sci-fi novels that like comes like true (laughs) you know uh where you realize like these lessons that you can learn in books actually apply in the real world as well. So after, after basic, I had a couple weeks uh, leave and then went to my duty station. And I, so I joined May, 2003, I left for Afghanistan, uh, October 30th, 2003. Gotcha. So I was like, right after basic, um, I was scared to death like and like one of the uh things i had like in my rucksack was was lord of the rings and i was mm. reading again like being deployed because like there's a lot of like as you're traveling over there downtime um couple hour flights and yeah yeah like those yeah. cargo planes are so luxurious yeah and it, well it's <laughs> nice it's like the one nice thing about them is like because I flew over on a C-17 from, from New York, because I was stationed in upstate New York in Fort Drum at the time, to uh, Germany uh, on your way to Afghanistan. And it's like a C-17, but you can lay out on the floor, which is nice. No windows, though, nice. which is what screws you up, because like, you have no idea like the passing of time. Mm. Uh, but I remember, yeah, like being in, in the like waiting area. Cause like your pilot has to get X amount of rest. So you're like just sitting there in Germany and, you know, reading Lord of the Rings for the you know 50th time. Uh, but you know, books like that, like really get you through, you know, tough times like that. Mm. And, you know, you just, you figure, you know, like if these characters can do these things, <clears throat> you know, then this isn't as bad as that. So you know, um, and, and really, yeah, like, you know, in a lot of ways, fantasy more, more than like historical fiction or anything else, like gets you through, um, at least for me, a lot of those really tough times in your life when, you know, because reality, you know, yeah, exactly. Like, and yeah, you don't want to read reality. Like I've read plenty of, you know, uh, nonfiction about military things in modern day. Um, but it, it's not as inspiring in many ways, you know, as, as fantasy, uh, for whatever reason. Um, you know, even like the book, no easy day, uh, where it's about like the seal, um, uh, one of the seals that killed bin Laden Mm. and like, yeah, it's inspiring, but it just, I don't know, like when you put it, in a fantasy setting, um, it, it, your imagination just runs so much more wild. And I think that's, yeah. you know, we were talking about, a, you know, earlier about like the link between like fantasy and religion, like, um, and that's why people really, you know, it, it doesn't matter if religion is true or not, or the stories are scientific or not. You really identify with religion because there's something true at the core of it that really speaks to the human experience beyond, you know, what, like a nonfiction person just saying their, their experiences brings out in you, you know, it, it brings it out of the normal situation. So like Hmm. you were mentioning that book about, um, the seal who killed Bin Laden, no easy day. And it's a fascinating book. I've read it too. Yeah. And I've watched a documentary. But I, I love like all military stuff. I, yeah. I do all that. But, um, and it's fascinating and not taking anything away from him, but it, it's here. It's present. It's, it's in the day. And it, it, when people tell stories like that, it almost brings like a sense of normalcy to it. And so it becomes normal. Yeah. But the fantasy world, when people tell stories through that, it's always a fantasy. It's always otherworldly, and it's always captivating because it's told in a in a realm that we don't truly understand, and it captivates our attention. I think. Yeah, I know. I I completely agree. Um, I'm curious to know, like, when and obviously we don't have to get into it if you're not comfortable. I know infantry. You you have some interesting days of that, and some harsh stories from that, probably was 
the Lord of the Ring book that you brought with you was that kind of an escape sometimes? You, after an encounter or something, you just need to get away? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, not just because, you know, we would all share books because, mm. you know, that was before Kindle. Actually, one of the best gifts I ever got was um, I'd already done two deployments, but I was had been out of the military and I got out in 2007. And I, I got called back up for a third deployment in 2010. Mm. And my coworkers at the time had bought me a, a Kindle. And it was like when it was new. Um, and I'd always like been resistant to the Kindle because um, I really like books. But it allowed me to like put a like, shit ton of books on there. Right. And it like now I read everything on Kindle. Because like, yeah, it's so much easier. Same. And... Yeah, like, but yeah, back in the day, like, you know, you had to just share books. Um, and I left so many books overseas. Like, my second tour when I was in Iraq, like, we had Amazon um, and internet when I was in Iraq. We didn't, like, when I was in Afghanistan, the base we were at literally had three computers with internet on it. And you had mm. to, like, go and, like, like reserve a time. Same with, like, they had three satellites. Set a reservation phones. for the internet. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. And you, you could only be on there a half hour. Um, and yeah, it was like, you know, very, but everybody would share books because people would send them books and then they would finish them. And, um, like, it's just funny. Like there's certain, like, I don't know, I think Robin Hobb is her name with the, uh, the assassins, mm. something I remember reading, like, it's just weird. Like I can literally remember reading certain books like in theater. Um, but yeah, like it, they really do help you, you know, just like, you know, in, in normal days. I think part of the problem, um, I think they help me more now, like in many ways, like in civilian life, because civilian life, you know, it feels mundane in so many ways. Like Afghanistan was, I mean, it was a lot of things, but it was never like boring, really. So, right. Um, but like you said, you did need that escape sometimes and that's, you know, what it provided, but, you know, it provides me just as much, you know, solace, like, you know, reading now, like, because it, it wow. can, you know, like you said, it, no matter what your situation, it gives you that, you know, sense of transcendence and mystery um, that you don't get from like nonfiction right. or even, you know, fiction that takes place. Like one of my favorite books of all time is Les Miserables, which really feels like fantasy in, in a lot of places. <laughs> it's French. It's all fantasy. Yeah. You know, like he's <laughs> made up words in here. Yes. Um, but yeah, that book, it, it is one of those rare, like ones that kind of take place like in our universe that kind of, you know, there's not many of those to me that feel transcendent. Another right. one um, good example is uh, basic training that, they gave us um, uh, one of the, on the reading list was Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein, mm. uh, which was really good. Um, and yeah, the same, you know, sci-fi, good sci-fi, just like Ender's Game, you know, has that same uh, property as like good um, fantasy. Right. And, you know, I, interesting, I was thinking about, like fantasy and then kind of contemporary writing and then sci-fi. And it's interesting, like the link between fantasy and sci-fi, because one is very like the past we associate with the past and one is the future. But mm. a lot of the themes are really the same in both sci-fi and fantasy, but fantasy, usually when we look back, it's always kind of romanticized. Mm. Um, you know, we, we romanticize the past where usually the future is dystopian, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of interesting. It just, but it, it's kind of that we know instinctively that the future, you know, you're going to die in the future. And I think sci-fi is kind of why it's more depressing in a lot of ways than fantasy is mm. it kind of like reflects that nature. We know instinctively that sometime in the future, things are going to be worse or, you know, we're leading towards something bad. That's so true that, you, you know, I never really thought of that before that, you know, fantasy is more romanticized and, and sci-fi is more usually depressing. Yeah. And I think it's because like 
we can look back at the past and be like, hey, we survived that. You yeah. know, that's what happened back then. And we're still here today. Yep. When you read the sci-fi, you're like, this could actually happen. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. Could- and as we see where the world's going, like we, we see, you know, <laughs> we think the world is getting worse. It doesn't mean that it is, but we feel it. It always kind of is getting worse. Yeah. I don't think the world is getting worse. Worse. I think we just have more access to the information of how crappy it is. Yeah. When I was like, you know, when some people complain about like how bad they think the world is getting or, you know, the apocalypse, everything. It's like, think, think how bad the people during the Black Plague felt. Oh, like, yeah. You know, like to them, like, I mean, what? I can't believe they had kids at all. It's like, why, you know, in Europe, like why even bother? You know what I mean? Like you saw so much death and so much, but they did. And I think that's, you know, like we should, you know, if they could (laughs) brave through that, then we, we can deal with, you know, Twitter and, you know, (laughs) we can deal with Twitter. Like and survive. Yeah. Yeah. And because, yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because we do look ahead and we, we, we get, kind of like we feel it's depressing and and things but um you know things really have gotten better um and it's important to remember that and but yeah like in in general like the length of fantasy is yeah we (laughs) we we really um you know we want to escape this world because we do feel like it's always kind of like worse than even even in a fantasy world where you know a dark lord is taking over everything but yeah. you know we see that you know these heroes are fighting against it and we don't see those same heroes in real life like they're there we just right. we don't you know uh intellectualize it like that we don't see politicians or you know even you know certain civil rights leaders i guess you can make you know the case for like that we can point to them and be like oh this is a hero but even like you know war heroes today um you know versus like world war ii you know it, they're not the same because you don't have that existential evil that they're fighting against at least the way we the know, real world it. is gray not black and white yeah like even when i was you know it really changed my perspective um going overseas because you know, the people over there, just like the people here, like most of them just want to live their own life. Now, that's not to say I, because I, I saw really, you know, evil things committed by some evil people, but most of the people over there are just like here, they want to, you know, live their own life, not, you know, uh, have the Taliban come by. Like, and that was when the eye opening, like going to these small villages in Afghanistan where they talk about, you know, all the evils that the Taliban did to them. Um, and, you know, which is why it was so heartbreaking for me that, you know, even before, you know, we pulled out of Afghanistan, we had pulled back from all those cause we were up on the border, um, near Pakistan and we had already pulled back like from all those villages that we kind of like promised that we, you know, would be there to help them. And, mm. you know, so that was a hard thing for me cause it felt like, you know, the one time in my life where I really did feel like I was a, like a white knight, you know what I mean? Like we were there unequivocally to help those people, um, which I do believe that. And those people really actually, you know, benefited. Yeah. And they, and most of them did really like it. So they couldn't always, you know, show it depending on who was around. Uh, Cause there was always Taliban spies, but you know, they would tell us. And a lot of like what I did in Afghanistan was even like going with uh like we would accompany special forces and stuff was to like hand out soccer balls and school supplies and generators and you know all that stuff was it yeah it really felt like you were you know it wasn't like you were there just you know killing the enemy it was you were really trying to bring you know something better to these people's lives and then you know to pull back from all those villages and know that like you know, all those generators that you gave, like, we're going to be taken by the Taliban and all this stuff. It just, that was depressing. Um, yeah. You know, especially the, like, and it, that culminated in, like, the pullout of this last, because it really did feel like, you know, like the dark power, like, taking back over, you know. Right. Um, like something from a, a fantasy novel. So. I'm curious to know, like, 
so fantasy and sci-fi, that stuff was kind of your escape while you're in there. Now, post military was, was D how did your military experience affect the way you play D and D? Um, you know, starting before, like, I don't like to metagame it. I don't use a lot of my like military experience in D and D actually, because, you know, I don't think a lot of it translates well. Like, and just like, I have a lot of uh, knowledge of, you know, like military tactics from back in the, you know, like Roman tactics, things like that. But, um, I don't like to, it really depends on my character. Like if my character is supposed to have like martial knowledge, then I'll do it. And like, there isn't a lot of knowledge that, you know, I could give my party, um, you know, as far as like how to ambush things like that. But, you know, I, I don't like metagaming and, right. and D and D like, you know, to me, it's like, then you always play the same character. You just play yourself. Um, and, hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not as good at role playing in general as like some people get really into it. And I, I really admire that. Like, um, I've never been like the thespian role player. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't like to metagame either where, you know, you, you just constantly use your own life experience. I think, you know, you should try to live through the character that you're playing and whatever, you know, experiences they might have. Cause I, I've had friends that do that. that they just completely metagame. They always kind of, you know, play the same character all the time. They use the same tactics all the time, you know, uh, as far as like, Oh, we're going to a dungeon and you know, we're going to do like, and it's like, would your character know that? Like logically, like, no, like there's been so many times where I'll have an idea of something, but, um, you know, I'll kind of like, like, Oh, my character wouldn't do that. Like, so Mm. I'm not going to, you know, bring it up because yeah, like, but there's so many people. And do you feel like that kind of, like if you were to metagame in that way mm-hmm. and just play based off of what you know, do you feel like that would kind of pull it away from that fantasy escape that you're looking for? Yeah. Because then it becomes just who you are and you don't want to play you. You want to play the character. Yeah. And, you know, like I th- think going back to video games, like I usually play myself. Like I always try to play like the evil path sometimes. It never works. Like I always play the good path because I just can't not (laughs) i can't you know but when there's other people around it changes the way you play or should right um where yeah you are able to role play a little bit better um and like because i i skew good but i do like playing like the gray characters sometimes um i i never play evil characters because i just i don't know I, i don't get that you know not that there's like it makes you a sociopath if you want to play the evil path. I, I hope think. not because I like playing the evil no exactly like and I I think most people who kind of like are are better than me in real life play the evil path where like I you know not I'm not that. that good in real life so I like to play usually like a good character. <laughs> so you're playing the good character as your fantasy exactly. Music, not yeah. you to escape. Yeah, because oh, I that's funny. That's my experience. A lot of people that like playing the evil evil path is usually it is people that like would never do anything close to that. Mm. I'm like, you know, and so, and again, it's just that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like, uh, so I don't judge people when they play the evil path because, yeah, I don't think they're a bunch of sociopaths or anything. It's just, I I try (laughs) and I'm like, I I can't do it. Where in real life, (laughs) when I try to play the good path, I can't always do it. So So that's not my experience with you. That's why you still like those long walks on the beach. Yeah. Well, and I'm, a, I'm a lot of things to a lot of people. I have a lot of facets. I'm a complicated person. That's that's fantastic. That's why we have you on the podcast because you are just a completely complicated but fascinating person. And the more and more I learn about you, the better and better it is. Well, I, I appreciate the uh, you know. Hopefully, I'll I'll live up to it. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. So. I do want to talk a little bit about the character you had in our campaign, sure. Gavroach. Yeah. And I know there's a story behind how he got the name. Yep. And not just how he got the name, but also 
kind of how the inspiration for the character as far as like his personality. So, you know, Les Miserables is one of my favorite books and mm-hmm. there's a, a character uh, near, near the end uh, who's this little street urchin named Give Roach. And Gav Roach is just kind of a, a happy-go-lucky, um, you know, uh, street urchin that gets swept up into the revolution. Um, and he, he doesn't really care about the revolution. <laughs> he just, all these people he know are in it. So he kind of gets swept up into it. But there, one of my favorite parts actually in the book is, and I can't remember the chapter name, but I think it's like, going to see the elephant or something like that um mm. and it and gavroach actually meets his half brother that he has no idea that this little kid is his half brother i mean les miserables a really like weird book all the connections to all the different characters but essentially he meets his like half brother who's like this he's like a five-year-old that happens now be on the street and doesn't know he's his half brother but just like kind of swoops him up and like pulls him under his wing and just like, Oh, you're with me. And you know, just like, that's just his personality. Just kind of this happy go lucky. Um, awesome. You know, uh, he, he's a street urchin. He steals, he does whatever to survive, but he, you know, there's no malice in him. He's not evil. Uh, he's not jaded by, you know, he just sees the world like, Oh, this is the way it is. Like why be angry or whatever about it? Um, you know, he's not mad at, at anybody. Um, and it's one of the most important lessons I think that anybody can learn is just, you know, whatever your circumstances are, um, a, you can make them better, but B like, you know, if all you have is that like avarice and like jealousy in your heart of what other people have, mm-hmm. um, you're never going to be happy regardless of what you get, because there's always somebody that has something better than you. If you can be happy, just, being a street urchin, you know what I mean? Like, and find happiness in that. A, you'll probably improve your circumstances at some point. B, like, you'll be happy. And I think that's, you know, the hardest thing in this world to be is is happy. That's a fascinating take on it. And it's so, I, I love the saying, I forget where I heard this, but the saying is, bitterness keeps you from flying. Hmm. And like, you can be bitter at the world because of your circumstance, because of, Whatever situation you're in, you can be bitter about it, but it's not going to help you change anything. Mm-hmm. And it it keeps you from flying. It keeps you because bitterness only hurts the person who holds it. Yeah. So, like, if and someone did me wrong, that they care about. Yeah. Yeah. If if someone did me wrong, and I'm bitter about them, and for years I carry this bitterness, and then that doesn't affect them at all. Like, they might not even know, but yeah. for me and the people around me. It's so noticeable and it just ruins everything that I do. And so that bitterness is so, and I think it's so prevalent in today's world. So I love that message of just, you know, whatever situation you're in, even, even if you have the right to be bitter, it doesn't, it's not going to help you. Yeah. Well, like I really kind of gravitate to Gavroach because he was like the opposite of what I was at that age. Mm. I was really like bitter and angry at that age. Um, which is why when I read, you know, the book later, really recognized that in myself that, um, and uh, you know, I did, well, like, um, so I lived here in Phoenix till I was seven. And when I was seven, my mother passed from Mm -hmm. cancer. It was like just a rare form of breast cancer. Um, you know, and I would like, my parents were divorced. My dad lived in California. Um, and like after that, I went to live with him. It took me a long time, like, and I'm just angry little kid and really was just angry, you know, at the universe, like, cause they took my mother away from me, you know, and I was right. such a mama's boy and I'm such a, you know, and it took me a long time to like, A, find the root cause of, you know, my anger and B, like kind of get over it. Um, but yeah, that's why I really gravitate to Gavroach because yeah, the same you know, kind of like all these bad things happened to him and he just kind of like didn't affect him. And, mm-hmm. um, not in a, not in a way, cause like things should affect you to a certain extent. Right. Like, otherwise you just don't care. But like, that was the great thing about Gavroach is he really loved life. 
still, you know, it wasn't like he become this just um, apathetic character that didn't care about the people around him or, um, or himself, um, which is why he's such a great character because yeah, he, you can tell he is still this like really big love for life and the people around him. And it doesn't matter that he, you know, these bad things happen to him or that he's a street urchin or any of these things. Um, so yeah, you know, there's certain things that really like resonate with you when you read, uh, nonfiction. I, I don't get that out of fiction. And, and those mm-hmm. things help me kind of understand things about myself that, you know, I otherwise wouldn't have. Um, and even like reading, you know, like philosophy and stuff is still, it's not the same as I, I still think the best philosophy is just nonfiction books hmm. um, or fiction books, I should say. Fiction books. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. That yeah. Fiction or nonfiction books. Yeah. Fiction. I always get those two. I know. So. Yeah. Fiction books are, are the best therapy. They really yes. are. Find characters you identify with and and try to live your life more like them. Unless of the evil character. Yeah, you know. <laughs> if you identify with them, you probably have bigger problems. And not that you can't identify with You can identify characters. with them and then learn from their mistakes mm-hmm. to do better. You can you can be better. Yeah. Yeah. No. Be better. Be better. Yeah. Just was that that Michael Jordan meme of just stop. Uh, get yeah. some help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No, I think that's a that's an important lesson to learn of, you know, making sure that in your situation you're just happy. And part of that comes by when bad things happen, instead of just being angry about it, you can let it motivate you to change. Let it motivate you to become better, to become different of saying, you know what, this, this crazy thing happened and, and it wasn't fair. I have every right to be bitter about it. And I could sit in that bitterness or I could take it and use that as motivation to better myself. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, to bring it back because this podcast about D&D. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Right. We're talking about D&D. I forgot. But, well, just bring it back to <laughs> D&D. It's, it's uh, you know, same in, in D&D. Like, it's funny because all these bad things will happen to your character in D&D and you don't care. Right. Because you understand mm. that that's part of the game. Right. That because if you go through D and D and nothing bad happens to your character, they don't get attacked. They don't do Then it's just boring. Right. That would be a horrible campaign. Yeah. Like once you realize that like pain um, is just part of the the game um, and it's how you react, like you said, how you react to that pain um, because life is a game in many ways. And once you realize that, like, kind of the happier it would be. And just like, you don't take it personal in D and D it's just when a monster attacks you or this or that. Uh, yeah. Like in life, same thing. Like people take things so personally um, and really, you know, just, and stupid things, you know, like road rage, for instance, mm. people get so upset, you know, as this is like people cut them off and they just feel it's like this personal insult. It's like, it has nothing to do with you. Like they, probably you know they don't care about you at all but you take it so personal and you shouldn't because then you know you do build up that resentment and like you know in D, like when the dm has monsters you don't get pissed off at it like why are you having all these monsters well, sometimes you do but... i mean but <laughs> that's probably a bad dm like if, if you fair. feel that like you know sometimes cannonballs happen yeah i mean yeah that's true should be a shirt, uh, but <laughs> shirt. Yeah. Sometimes cannonball happens. Just put it on a shirt. There yeah. you go. Yeah, um, you know, a good DM really, and I, you know, if I had the concept of God, all it would be like God as a DM typically will not give you more than you can handle. I know that's mm. kind of a cliche, but you know what you can handle is very subjective. But really, you know, if you look at you know, not just fantasy, but historically, like people can handle a lot. It's just your mindset. Um, it's like one of the scariest books I ever read was uh, the book Night uh, by Ellie Weigel. And it's about the Holocaust. And, Oof. you know, like, and just some of the crazy, you know, 
and what's crazy about the Holocaust isn't necessarily that happened because, you know, people can be extremely evil to each other. Like we, we understand that, especially after the Holocaust. But what's crazy is like, like the suicide rate after the Holocaust of survivors was not high. You know, like our suicide rate amongst, you know, uh, just first world people without a lot of problems is much higher than like people in the Holocaust. And, mm -hmm. you know, they found meaning, you know, in their suffering, which you, you have to, or just like, I mean, I think the biggest reason why suicide is such a problem here in the, like the U S and the, in the civilized world, the West uh, is because people can't find meaning, not in their suffering, but in their mediocrity, you know, like, mm. and like you, you have to find your own meaning in life. Um, it doesn't matter how much pain you endure or not the pain you endure. Like you can still find that meaning. And it's just like, you just have to realize like it's all part, part of the game, you know? All right. It's all a game. And going full circle with the, uh, yeah, yeah. It, basic it, training being a game. It and is. Yeah. Life is a game and D and D is a game. Yeah. Um, well, and, you know, like basic training was the same. It always felt like the, the drill sergeants were this like, uh, malevolent, you know, force that, you know, you couldn't control. And it was like, you know, people's, um, you know, when they used to like pray f f not for earthquakes or whatever. And it's like, they didn't understand what caused the earthquakes. So them like, you know, primitive people sacrificing these things are going to stop it. And it's like, you're not going to stop the earthquakes. You know, yeah. it's like, you're not going to stop your drill sergeant. Yeah. He's, and he's going to find a reason for you to do pushups. Yeah. I, I have this. Well, always find a reason to, you know, give you earthquakes. Like those things exist. You're not going to get away from them. Yeah. I have a friend who was in the military as well. And, um, and he, he opened my eyes that a drill sergeant's job is to punish you for nothing. Like if he can't find something wrong, he'll make up something wrong because he, he walks in there knowing he's going to give you those 20 pushups, whether you like it or not for, for whatever reason. And their job is to find yeah. any excuse to make you do those 20 pushups. I remember this one, um, the story that my friend told me, he said the drill sergeant went in there and they had been like getting this platoon or group or whatever in basic had been getting, destroyed by this drill sergeant. He was finding all things wrong. And they finally like had this meeting among themselves. Like we have to do like everything perfect. And they, they went in that morning, the drill sergeant came in that morning and they had done everything that he had drilled them on and everything as far as they could tell was perfect. And so the drill sergeant told them, it looks like you have too much time on your hands. Do 20 pushups. Yeah, yeah. It's because you have so much time. And so like this whole thing, they tried so hard to make it everything perfect. And they did. And the drill sergeant still made them do pushups because, oh, now, now you have free time. So you're good to go. One, one of my favorite, <laughs> uh, I was talking to a drill sergeant. And what he used to do, if, if he found uh, somebody's wall locker open, mm. he would take his hat, put it in their wall locker and lock it. And then when they came back from training, because a lot of people wouldn't lock their locker all the way because like, there's times where you have to like do shit really quickly. So it right. just makes it faster. So he would like put his hat in there, lock it. And then when they come back from training, he's like, who had the balls to go in my office and steal my hat? Oh no. And like everybody like open your locker. We're tossing everything. And like, just, he's like, imagine the kid's face when he like opens his hat and his hat's in there. <laughs> and it's like the sheer panic. Oh and yeah. Just Oh no. Yeah, just like, man, that is evil. And that's the, you know, the funny, like, cause like, obviously like there, there's times in your life where, you know, there's things that are like kind of out, in your control, but out of your control right. where things can happen to you like that. Or it's just like, Oh man. But dang yeah. that poor kid. I can just see him like opening his locker and just going sheet white. Oh yeah. Wide just eyes. Everything in hot inside of him just dies in yeah. a moment of, Oh crap. I'm about to, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be on KP for years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, that is fantastic. That's a great story. It's just, that <laughs> mental topic, image yeah. of opening that locker is just – I need to do that in a campaign or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> terrorize some players. Um, but, no, that's fantastic. That's a great, great story. Um, 
Yeah, man, it has been so wonderful talking with you. Is it only seven forty? Really? Yeah, it's only only seven forty. I feel like we covered a lot. And we uh, did. We, Jesus, it's been an hour. It's yeah. been an hour. So. Oh um, yeah, I guess we started a little before set. Like I was yeah, we started, started a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I was like, "There's no way it's only been forty minutes." <laughs> yeah, no, it's been fantastic talking with you, and it was really fascinating because I I knew Gavroach and I saw the way you played him and stuff like that, but hearing that backstory of why you chose that character is just hitting me with like the way you played him. Of he was just it. And I'll be honest, like during the game, it sometimes it kind of frustrated me. <laughs> As a DM, I'm trying to get you get a reaction out of you, and you're just like, eh, it's whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because really, like playing that character, because usually my my uh, like if you put me in a a group and you're having a oh yeah, well here we go, there you go. Uh, yeah, so usually, you know, I'm I'm much more. You put me in a group. And there's some kind of problem to solve or something like that. I'm very, like, going to be, oh, we need to do this. We need to do that. Like, I'm not bossy, but, you know, I'm opinionated. Uh, where, with yeah, with this character, putting him in that mindset, it's just like, I'm just going to kind of go with the flow. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to, you know, because our group was so eclectic. And so, you <laughs> very know. Very eclectic. Yeah. It's a great um, way of putting it. And there, there was already so many different voices. And Diversity. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're very diverse. <laughs> um, and diverse in thought, too, which is what, you know, really matters. Oh, right. But, yeah, I tried to just get out of myself and just kind of, like, be along for the ride, um, which is actually difficult for me in many ways because usually I want to, like, control the narrative or, like, do this, do that. We need to – and. So with, yeah, Gavroche, I really try to pull back and, um, yeah, just role play him as, you know, this just this happy-go-lucky, like, um, not really agenda-driven um, character. He's so, just there for the ride. Yeah. and See where life takes him. And it was fun. Like, and it, like it's one of the most fun times I've had, you know, as far as, like, role-playing. Um, because, yeah, partly, like, I, I feel if our group wasn't as, like, dynamic and, charismatic as they were um i probably would have like stepped up and like oh we needed this but like because our group was just so you know it was just so fun to just kind of sit back and and watch be entertained yeah yeah yes um yeah because it was a really good group but yeah with uh, depending on the group like if you know we were like really indecisive or this or that then i you know probably but probably would have stepped up and like oh we should do this because that's typically more my personality um, is to kind of be in on the decision-making. Like I don't have to be the leader, but usually I like to be in the decision-making process and like make my voice heard. But yeah, with this group, it was kind of fun just to watch, see where they went (laughs) with stuff. It was always surprising. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Always surprising. Yeah. A lot of times I didn't agree. Like I remember like Bruce, I think he would get frustrated sometimes. Oh yeah. Which I, I understand. Cause like his personality, you can tell is, is very like kind of like mine. Um, but like you can tell he, yeah, would like get frustrated when we just, but it was just like, I don't know me once I was in that mind space of like being that character, it was kind of just like, you know, let's see how this goes. Like usually I'd be like, no, 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 let's not do this. Like that's a, you know, that could be a terrible idea or this. I'm just like, yeah, let's, let's see how this plays out. Uh, so it was really fun. Um, yeah. Just being able to do that actually for once and, and just and with a group this fun, it was, yeah, it was always interesting no matter what happened. That's awesome. You know? Well, it has been over an hour, so we, I should probably let you get back to your, your time here at the mm-hmm. tavern to talk with other guests and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's been such a pleasure having you as a guest today. And, uh, man, I've really enjoyed learning about you and your experiences and how that just kind of fed into your mindset when you play a character, that good and bad, playing the gray character. Um, that was just fascinating. Um, and your experience there is so cool to hear. But, yeah, thank you so much for joining us on our adventure. And, uh Thanks you're for always, having me. Yeah, yeah no, you're always it. welcome back here at the Dimension. No, <laughs> Bye, man.
We had such a great time with you all today. If you enjoyed our show, please follow us and hit the notification bell. Share this podcast with your friends, family, D&D group, or other adventurers. Also, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review and would love to hear from you. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest at the tavern, send us an email. You can find our links in the description below. Well, it's closing time here at the Dimension Door, but we are so excited for another adventure together next Thursday right here at the Dimension Door Tavern. 